Rum of the Mist show that you are currently tuned into will begin in about five minutes. Until then, enjoy this wonderful tune. Why does a good man have to Listening to War of the Stars, a Star Wars podcast presented by Rubber Mist Entertainment with your host, John Tolley. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to War of the Stars, a Star Wars podcast. We are coming to you today from deep within the Outer Rim, far beyond the watchful eyes of the Galactic Empire. My name is John Mark Tolley, and joining me today, as always, is my co-host. He is the man who will not stop until he has found the answer to the question, what about the droid attack on the Wookiees? Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Christopher Stolley. But what about the droid attack on the Wookiees? I don't know what about it. How's it going, guys? How are you doing today, man? Um, I'm living. Been a busy You're week. Living. Uh, yeah, I know that feeling. I know that feeling. Also joining us today, a returning guest. She is one of the authors of the book Star Wars and History and is the professor of history at Laurentine University. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome back Professor Janice Liddell. How are you doing, ma'am? Very well. Well, it's good to have you back. Um, we're going to start off with a little news, and when I mean little, there is very, very little news. In fact, uh, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about starting out was this kind of, uh, from where I'm seeing, uh, kind of lack of news in Star Wars, and it seems pretty much it's because we have, um, right around the corners, of course, celebration, so it seems like they're kind of keeping things close to the vest right now. And not a lot is coming out. So um, are you thinking like what I'm thinking is that once Celebration hits, the news will be coming, Star Wars news will be coming pretty hard and fast after that. Oh, heavens, yes. Yeah. I think that's a safe bet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, like I said, not a whole lot. I mean, have you seen anything really big noteworthy uh, that we haven't already talked about? Well, I, I, I heard rumor that there's supposed to be a new movie coming out in December called Episode 9. 
Yeah, I've heard about that. I've heard about that. And I don't. <laughs> I mean, Disney's supposed to be launching their their this year their their uh, streaming service, which mm-hmm. is supposed to launch with this thing that John Favreau's doing. I don't know. Uh, yeah, the life yeah. the life and times of Jar Jar Binks. I think it's called. Oh wow, that that's gonna be a real winner. No, no, the the, the Mandalorian. I mean, there, there's plenty to talk about. The problem is, is that uh, Lucasfilm and Disney and the marketing thus far have been extremely tight-lipped. But like yeah. you said, I think I think the blood floodgates are gonna really open up once Celebration hits. Yeah, yeah, especially leading up to uh, Episode Nine and the TV show and everything like that. Um, so uh, we'll just segue right into it. We are continuing our uh, several-week series we've been doing on the women of Star Wars this time with the titular character from Rogue One, Jen Erso. Um, so let's just get right right into it right away. And um, what are what were your first impressions the first time that Jen shows up on screen for you guys? Uh, uh, Janice, I'll start with you. Sure. Um, I thought she was a, a fascinating kind of anti-hero, maybe an anti-Leia, somebody mm-hmm. who isn't, you know, all into this uh, rebellion, who seems to really want to have nothing to do with a chip on her shoulder, just wants to get herself out and get safe. So mm-hmm. the the reluctant rebel really is what yeah. she. Yeah, she she comes right from the start. Yeah, definitely, definitely. The one thing I noticed from the very the, her very first scene uh, in the house with um, with her dad Galen was normalcy. That you can tell that Galen had tried to make their home as normal as it could be, and to see that just in an instant turned upside down her world turned upside down just instantly and um so that was the first thing i got was just this sense of you know she was just a girl and like you said unlike someone who were like a leo who was born into the rebellion or even a padme um she was just yes her dad was you know a famous scientist or engineer or whatever but for all intents and purposes she was just a normal girl Right, that they were hiding at the very beginning and had been for some years, um, and that both of her parents had had sort of turned their back on the science as much as possible to try to give her a normal life, to try to mm-hmm. step away um, as much as they could. Yeah, and you can tell that. I mean, in the little bit of interaction you have before Krennic shows up, you can tell that they were trying to lead just a normal life as much as they could. Um uh, you mentioned the uh, one thing I noticed and I got through watching Rogue One and seeing her story uh, compared to um, if you want to compare and contrast her to Leia and Padme is Leia is or Padme, pardon me, Padme is almost what happens when you lose hope, when hope dies. And Leia is that idea of once you have hope holding on to it. And for me, Jin was finding hope. You know, that was kind of the main story of of um, of Rogue One was when all hope is lost. You know, lost finding that hope again, and you know, then you're going to obviously a new hope. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought it was just kind of an interesting correlation between the three. Hey, I see a trend there. <laughs> hey. <laughs> No, um, I I actually, with all respect, I actually disagree. I think Jyn Erso, as far as like the females of Star Wars that we we've been talking about thus far, she is the absolute weakest of them. Uh, for the simple fact of that, quite honestly, everything that she's a part of, everything that she had done within the story of Rogue One, quite honestly, was because her father was Galen Erso, and mm. kind of the. Uh, the rebellion just saying you're going to do this whether you like it or not. Now, yes, she did find her hope when she found out that her father wasn't a puppet of the empire. Yes, she found her hope when 
the 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 rebels said no we're we're not gonna believe in this death star thing but you know uh cassian and everything but really for me it was like she needed the validation of other people or certain validations of certain things to even get the motivation to get started whereas Hmm. somebody like padme or somebody like leia they needed they needed no man if you will they 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 went and they did and they didn't care about whether people approved of it or didn't so quite honestly, I mean, as far as like Will is concerned, I think she's the weakest example of the three mm. that we've done thus far. Personal opinion. Well, I, I would say another thing to think about with Jin Urso is that she she plays off of Han's role in the original trilogy to some extent. She's not in this, um, you know, she's not part of the rebellion. She's not going to be part of that. She's, but she's very consciously turned her back twice over you know uh, you know both from losing her family and the being abandoned by saw she she's you know been twice betrayed so she's been part of this and they've messed with her so now she's going to have nothing to do with them um you're right that it takes um a lot of blackmail there that they they want to use her and she wants nothing to do with it so until she comes around until she has a moment like when Han decides to come back and help rescue Luke, <coughs> now we can blow those things out of the water. Mm. She does that earlier in her film story, finally shifts around. She's going to do it for herself, but it takes yeah. a while. Yeah. Uh, well, that actually leads to a good segue with mentioning her relationship with Saw Gerrera. And I mean, this was very much from the beginning. You see a very tumultuous relationship. And like you said, the fact that Saw used her. Um, and that really, I think, impacted her her view of the rebellion because that was her how she saw the rebellion was through this sort of the eyes of Saw Guerrera and the partisans in this very take no prisoners. You know, uh, if collateral damage happens, collateral da- damage happens. And I think it was important for her to see someone like a. Mon Mothma and see the alliance and see that the alliance was not like Saw Guerrera's partisans. Well, that's exactly it. Saw Guerrera's uh, uh, cell was very much militant as opposed mm-hmm. to an organized uh, military. Um, yeah. Guerrera, Guerrera. The the thing about Guerrero and his and his cells, you have to remember all the way back into the Clone Wars, and the crap that him and his fam or not his family, but his 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 planet, his people, had suffered at the hands of the uh, uh, Confederation of Independent Systems, to the rise of the Empire, uh, the betrayal of the Republic to become the Empire. Uh, Saw's seen some crap in his world, so he really didn't want to do it by normal channel means. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not justifying what Saw did uh, as far as, like, Jin is concerned in, in, a, in any way, shape, or form. I mean, he was entrusted by uh, Galen and, and, Gal- and, and Galen's wife to protect and raise his daughter. And instead, Ga- uh, Saw, with his paranoid mind decided to like you said use Jin in a way to to further his his fight yeah. in the rebellion in the end he saw her as nothing more than an asset right mm-hmm. you know and uh, were you gonna say something um uh, thinking about saw he was he was also to, to his own um, defense trying to be helpful to Jin at the end a little bit there when he, he gets rid of her he, he you know it, it's not just yeah. your liability but this is the only way to protect you um, however she has no way to understand that all she knows is that she has been abandoned as you say yet again yeah. um, and it really colors her view of the rebellion I would blame her at all for that attitude of yeah. I'm gonna have nothing to do with you guys um, and you see that kind of her kind of attitude of I just want to live my life. I just want to survive when she, when I believe it was, um, I can remember it was Saul or Cassian who makes the comment about the, uh, the flag, the Imperial flag flying over, over every planet. And she says it doesn't, well, if you don't look up, you don't notice it or something to that extent. And that kind of gives her, her 
thought process and how she kind of viewed the world of, you know, hey, it doesn't, bo- you know, as long as I don't bother it, it won't bother me. That was kind of her, and I think a lot of people probably would have had that idea. And you can look even through history, through um, despotic regimes like the Nazis and Stalin and things like that, where people say, hey, as long as I don't rock the boat, I don't care. I, I think I think one of the positives I can give Jim Ur- Jen Urso and her personality, uh, and I know I'm kind of jumping the gun on some of the other characters that we're going to be talking about later on in mm-hmm. podcasts, uh, but I think she's more of a perfect example of a nobody can make a difference in 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 anything yeah. than than even Ray does. Um, yeah. again, Ray's story is not complete and I still fully believe, you know, again, not to jump the gun. I fully believe it's going to turn out that Kylo is full of crap, uh, <laughs> that, that she's a nobody. I think he lied to her and I think JJ Abrams had more of a plan for her. I'll keep my theories to myself though. But Jin Ursa was literally a nobody. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. uh, even though her father was famous, she was a nobody. And quite honestly, if... Galen had stayed away from from getting picked up by Krennic and 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 the like. She would have lived her life as a farmer. She would have been. Mm-hmm. She would have remained a nobody. But one person, one nobody, can make a difference. I, I yeah. the positive I could take from her, from her character is that fact. You don't have to be a Jedi. You don't have to be from a famous family. You don't have to be uh, from a, 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 a total lineage to be a hero in some way and make an impact. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. Exactly. And it's the very ordinariness of her. She's not a princess. She's not a, a queen or a senator. She's just a, an ordinary person, more ordinary than Luke, more ordinary than, than Han, who's had uh, all his adventures over the years. She's, as you say, young, used to looking down, just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and could have been completely uh, a footnote in the whole history of the galaxy. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so, follow your notes. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> We've actually kind of gone over quite a bit of what I was going to be talking about. Um, Short well, episode. Uh, no. <laughs> what's that? Short episode. No. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Um, well, I, well, let's talk about a little bit about her, uh, we've talked about her kind of her connection with, uh, uh, of course her dad and Saul, uh, let's talk a little bit about her connection to Cassian and kind of the, in a weird way, I want to say almost the reverse of Han and Leia, where, um, I'm not, you know, saying that Cassian is the male male Leia, but in that sense of, you have uh, someone in Cassian who, like Leia, was born into the rebellion, and then you have someone like Khan who was just kind of thrown into it and is just trying to make his way in the universe, in the galaxy, and trying to survive. Um, I think I think the similarities between Cassian and Jin is what really attracted them to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the fact that even though, like, you know, Jin, after the Saw Gerrera, had to fight to survive on the streets, you know, being, being a street rat, uh, or whatever, whatever would have you, you know, thievery, dealing with probably seedy people in back alleys, uh, mm-hmm. trying not to, forgive me here, trying not to get raped, trying not to starve to death, trying not to get mugged or assaulted, she had a rough upbringing on her own. And then you have Cassian, as he stated in uh, his argument with Jin, like, don't talk to me about hardships. I've been fighting in this fight since I was six years old. In other words, yeah. here's, another, here's another person that was brought up in this war, finding hardship and yeah. sleeping on hard grounds and, and making hard decisions that uh, that most normal human beings, even in real life, would never have to face. And I think that was really where they started to bond more than yeah. anything else is realizing that even though I'm a soldier and you're uh, a, a street rat, you know, we were shaped by the battles that we fought. You know what I mean? Exactly. I, yeah. That that kind of 
uh, a very primal <laughs> level that they, they both suffered a great deal. They've both made a lot of compromises. They've, they don't have any illusions to cling to. It's just been some hard choices over and over again. Only in Cassian's case, a lot of his hard choices he can justify by saying, I'm doing it for this higher purpose, for this higher reason. Whereas mm. Jin has checked out of that kind of argument. She just doesn't believe it's that's there anymore. She's lost the everything but that necklace that her mother yeah. left with her. Um, she's lost everything else of the ideals and hope. Mm. That's kind of one thing. I think that's kind of why I like her, also her relationship with K2, because K2 is the one character that doesn't have time for her crap. <laughs> and just is just willing to just lay down the line and you can see that relationship you know that bond grow at the end but uh still i mean that was the one character through that didn't try and coax her that didn't try and it's like well what about this that was just like i don't care one way or the other I, we're doing this if you want to come along fine if not i could care less did you know that wasn't me Okay. <laughs> uh, K2 K2 is definitely I mean K2 is probably one of my favorite droids of current canon mm-hmm. I mean I mean with, with current canon and everything that's going on now obviously the classics are 3PO and R2 you know mm-hmm. and BB-8's cute um, and, and, and L337 needs to be thrown down a garbage chute um <laughs> But K2SO was really one of those characters that you're right. He didn't take he didn't take crap off of Cassian, but yeah. again, like Cassian said, uh, that was part of his pro- uh, reprogramming. It, it was a yeah. byproduct of his reprogramming is that he speaks his mind, that he he held no filter, you know. So mm-hmm. that absolutely mm-hmm. was a, a contrast to to Jin, who would try to weasel and connive her way. I mean, when, when you first see their dynamic it's over a gun that she she boosted from the, from the base yeah. and yeah you know k2 like when she turned around i found it i find that answer to be vague and unconvincing like <laughs> <laughs> he he was very he got some of the best lines in the movie oh yes definitely definitely he absolutely did but i'm gonna make an argument even though this is about I really want your guys' opinion because I, I don't care what anybody says. I know he's not a Jedi, but you cannot tell me Chirrut is not force, a Force user. Oh, definitely. Definitely is a Force user. Oh, yeah. Yes, uh, definitely. Like, I don't, uh, know, I don't know what stopped him from joining the Jedi Order, but he had the ability to be a Jedi, even if he wasn't actually a Jedi. Yeah. Well, they've kind of gone into... Um, there's been some stuff that has kind of gone into the different... Force religions outside of the Jedi and the Sith, and um, I believe he was one of the Guardians of the Wills. Yes, yeah. Him and Maze were both Guardians of the Wills, but yeah. but the, the the fact that the, the fact of the matter is is like Maze Maze was your typical soldier. He he mm-hmm. held no faith in the Force. He held no faith in the fact that you know the Force will guide him in any way. To him, it was battle gun and my own skill and wits you know mm-hmm. gets gets me along well Chirrut, Mason lost his faith in the force I mean true but it, he he never he never considered it to be something that guided his action he yeah. he considered the force the same way you would consider God yeah. in a Christian a Christian belief you know uh where Cherit Cherit took it to the extremes of somebody who you know, almost like somebody who just read the manual of being a Jedi, but never took the training of, mm-hmm. if that yeah. makes sense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And what I find interesting with Jin in all of this, um, I remember was one of the comics, I believe about her mom, um, talking about that her mom was, uh, definitely tied into, or uh, she, admired and idealized the Jedi. She was kind of uh, 
you know, focused on that. And like I said, giving her, her daughter the crystal, she's more part of this ordinary world that says, yeah, the force is out there and not everybody who's interested in and inspired by it has to be a Jedi. Mm -hmm. They can be, again, ordinary people who are invested yeah. in so, um, that that sense that there's just the Jedi, the Sith, um, um, and then the rest of the galaxy doesn't really have uh, any awareness of this besides those two groups. You know, no, we we we, we see more shades of gray uh, in the in this world in uh, in Jin's story. Definitely. Well, the big, the big thing I think we get in the impact of, of, of the story where we find Jin and, and Cassian and all that was that uh, the Imperial propaganda machine. Uh, ever since ever since the execution of Order 66, the Jedi were vilified. It was very few people who actually be, uh, who actually didn't believe <coughs> uh, what Senator Palpatine, well, uh, Chancellor Palpatine, now the Emperor, had stated that the that the Jedi had betrayed the Republic. Hmm. You know, so they were very much vilified, and then, of course, the propaganda machine—they've been wiped from existence. Of course, yeah, definitely. You know. You've just got, you know, you, you've got that underground mythology remaining. Hmm. Those people who who dare to pass on the stories, and you've got an awful lot, as you say, who don't. Then those ordinary people who go, well, I, you know, I, I, they used to be around, but then they turned into the bad guys. Hmm. So that actually leads me to an interesting question, um, and you probably might be able to answer this. Is there any correlation between what happened to the Jedi and real life where like, a group is basically wiped from existence and like, in a short period of time, like their memory is almost forgotten? And like that, like that was a very short period of time that uh, the Jedi are all forgotten to become more legend than anything else. I mean, you know, Luke was, what, 18. So it was 18 years from Order 66 to uh, A New Hope, mm -hmm. give or take. Is there anything in history that, that is similar to that where in that shorter period of time, like a group or an order or something becomes legend that quickly before you before you answer i'm gonna i'm gonna take a wild stab in the dark and say uh eastern civilizations asian cultures um you, you i think you could probably find some of those i and i'm not a a super expert that's really going outside of my focus uh an area the other group that comes to mind um similar would be the knights templar that's kind of what i was thinking yeah yeah in the early 14th century, the Pope um, and the King of France sort of joined forces. The King of France is calling the shots, and he wants this order eradicated. He wants to take the resources that they have. The Templars are the bankers of pretty much all of Europe, and if he can suck in their money and take it for himself, that, that'd be great. And He's able to use that power to accuse the you know, the knights, the order of all sorts of atrocities and sins, and they are all you know those who are tried are killed horribly. Their um, goods are confiscated, and uh, everybody across Europe pretty well um, you know eradicates the order. Um, they're anathema. They're not allowed to be talked about. And people aren't allowed to deal with them anymore. So it's pretty effective. Uh, within a few years, they're gone. Hmm. Remind you of anything, Chris? Yeah, a lot of different things. <laughs> no, I, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, I'm not as I'm not as much as up on the Knights of Templar, but I have heard the stories where it, it pretty much does seem very similar. I don't know. I don't know how long it took for 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 it but besides besides their disbanding they were very much vilified like through through propaganda um if if yeah. my memory serves me correctly and definitely and and i think that's a perfect example of how the uh, galactic empire destroyed the memory of the jedi order so that mm -hmm. way when we're coming up to Generous's story which is literally you know 8 uh, 17 years and and you know, eleven months away from the beginning of a new hope, or or seven, you know, seventeen years and eleven months from Revenge of the Sith to the beginning of a new hope. 
you know, so you're talking about like hours <laughs> away from, yes, from, from Luke's, you know, Luke's beginning of his story. And, and you figure during that time, how much propaganda was led into the galaxy to, to brainwash the masses to not only saying that the Jedi may have just been a myth. To the fact that the Jedi were this evil uh, Illuminati organization that looked to take control of the galaxy and they were squashed by our glorious leader in his galactic empire, you know, um, yeah. military. And and I think I think it would I think it's like along the lines of like uh, a very scary thing if you were somebody who held on to the belief, no, the Jedi were good. Yeah, yeah it, you, you'd be tough and you'd know that you were a minority opinion. And just imagine how much more productive it is. I'm sorry, you still there? Did we lose we her? Se- Hello? We seem to have lost. I'm not sure what's going on here. We will try to get her back. Uh, I think it might yeah. be on her end. Since I'm talking to yeah. you and you're still there. Yeah, uh, well, this is a good enough time to take a commercial break, and we can try and get this sorted out. Uh, so we will be right back after these messages. <laughs> hey, everyone, this is John Tolley, inviting you to check War of the Stars, a Star Wars podcast. Each week, me and my co-host, Christopher Stolley, discuss the news and theories surrounding one of the largest franchise movie franchises in the world. So join us every Wednesday at 8 Eastern as we travel to the galaxy far away right, right here on Anchor FM or find podcast or heard. Hi, this is Dave from the Comic Collection at 83 Bustleton Pike in Feasterville, Pennsylvania. Our phone number is 215-357-3332. We are right next to Northeast Philadelphia. We have action figures, gaming, statues, albums, and CDs, graphic novels, other knickknacks, and, of course, comics. Established in 1985, we are your go-to store. Come by and say hello. And say hi from RadioCast FM Radio. The address again is 83 Bustleton. Peaceful Pennsylvania, or call 215-357-3332. Hi, my name's Chris, and I'm here to tell Realm of the Mist podcast. Realm of the podcast, we talk about all the entertainment things from movies, news books, comic books, and many other forms of entertainment, as well as politics, current events, and just general having a good time. If you're looking for a podcast that is right up your alley, look no further than Realm of the Mist podcast here on Anchor.fm or fine podcasts can be heard. Hey, guys. And- Sorry, go ahead. All right. Sorry. <laughs> I thought you were still and working welcome, on the thing. <laughs> welcome back. Uh, we uh, we've seem to have lost connection with Dr. Liddell. Uh, we are currently trying to get her back um, unfor- to no avail. Um, uh, but as soon as we do, we will obviously bring her uh, back in and get the conversation going again. And... Uh, it's so far. It's been a really interesting conversation. It's interesting getting a um, someone with her expertise and knowledge, uh, kind of get her her views and her thoughts on something, especially a movie uh, like Rogue One and a character like Rogue One, which is very war heavy and very um, seems to be more tied of all the movies. I think. Um, Rogue One is the one that is the most tied to reality. Um, I would I would argue that point a little bit because of the fact that George Lucas, even all the way back in 1977, tied in so much world history 
into yeah. into yeah. His, his opus, and it has really carried throughout every film, with the exception of Solo. Solo was just an a- action romp, so I, I'm, I'm dis- discounting yeah. that from, from the conversation. But Rogue One and uh, the saga, if you will, I think very much leans heavily on a lot of different takes on world history, not just like American history, not just like uh, medieval yeah. history, but, you know, the Jedi are based off of, uh, uh, half based off of like uh, Cavalier, or, uh, Cavalier style, Paladin style knights and, and uh, ancient Di- Ming dynasty uh, samurai. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. monks and, and all. Lucas always drew heavily. Uh, with his with his inception of Star Wars, drew heavily upon world history, so it's yeah. really awesome to well, have a historian to to really point out the historical connections yeah. in some way, shape, or form. Well, what I meant by more down to earth, it's more of all the stories. It's the grittiest. It was the one that like really showed like down in the mud. It brought. It really reminded us that. This was a rebellion. There we go. You know, hey, uh, she's back. Hey. Yeah. I'm sorry. One more time. Janice, just to make sure we have you. Yeah. All right. Great. All right. Now, what we what we were just discussing while we were waiting for you to be able to reboot uh, was that it was great to have an actual historian uh, because of Rogue One in particular, but uh, Star Wars in general having such a rich pull of history, and, I, and not just like individual history, like, you know, American or, or whatever the case may be, but that George Lucas from Inception always pulled from a lot of different aspects of world history to, to, to draw inspiration into his story. And then, uh, as John was saying, uh, Rogue One heavily... Uh, showed a, a very gritty boots on the ground, almost, uh, for lack of a better term here, uh, a Saving Private Ryan look into world history and, and the history of war. Definitely. I was really impressed when we started working on Star Wars and history, just how wide-ranging George Lucas was um, uh, conveying his interest in the kinds of chapters he wanted to see in the collection in the kind of influences he wanted us to understand. Um, mm-hmm. He wanted us to, to look at the elements we didn't have time to, uh, but like uh, the Madagascar pirate cultures, um, and he definitely had so much out of World War II uh, from the dogfights and the partisans and the Maquis all the way up through um, then, of course, uh, the Death Star being... Uh, the, the the atom bomb. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the man really has a, a wide-ranging interest in his galaxy, takes on the global history over millennia. Uh, so it is pretty darned uh, wonderful for a historian to dig in and say, I see that, I see that too. And, oh, there's more. Yeah. And, well, and- one thing, like, I, I even noticed, like, um, when you see, when they're on the ground, and you see the, you know, the ro- where the, sh- the ship, you know, Rogue One, and you see this, uh, the rebel soldiers, and you see how they're dressed. It looks like something straight out of Vietnam. I mean, the helmets and the outfits that they're wearing, I'm like, you could have taken them and put them in Vietnam or, you know, the jungles of uh, the South Pacific during World War II, and they would have not been out of place. They would have not looked out of place one bit. Definitely, um, you know, he he really nailed the feel of an active military base and a long-term tired. Uh, you know, these are people who have been doing this for for ages, like Cassian in particular, um, and they're not getting uh, they're not getting that easy win. They're not getting that glorious victory. It's just slog and hard work and and run mm-hmm. from one place to another. Um, so it is very uh, realistic, and and that appeals so much. Oh well, yeah, I think I think oh, what it, I think what it especially is supposed to try to uh, show, if you remember this whole entire movie, Gareth Edwards and 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 all created a movie based on the first line of dialogue, or not even dialogue, the first paragraph 
of episode four, which is the rebels won their first hard fought victory. So the reflection of the rebellion, especially the uh, the soldiers within the rebel alliance, is that these guys are used to getting their asses handed to them. Mm-hmm. They're yes. they're all but spent. You know, they've they've been in the trenches so long and have been losing ground over and over and over and over again. Yeah. You know, and I think I think I think the look of the characters, the the looks of their uniforms, the 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 dead look in their eyes was reflecting of this is a beaten army. Yeah. Well and like I I was kind of saying before um Dr. Liddell came back is this movie really brought the rebellion back to the forefront and remind us that this was a rebellion that they, they were up against impossible odds. Yes, they're, they're deeply an underdog. This isn't the story of two equally matched sides or comparably matched alliances. Um, you know, so there's something where uh, the World War, or even um, the, the U.S. in Vietnam, where they just have a portion of their, their goods and they're, they're not willing um, and, and we're very glad for you know bringing in things like nuclear uh, arms and so forth. They're fighting on equal footings, um, and you know the the empires clearly got them outgunned and outmanned, and is working on a bigger, more devastating gun. Is the story that's going to not just finish them, but finish anyone who might be associated with them. Well, that that's 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 exactly it, and and you could almost attest like the 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 single reactor firing of the Death Star in Rogue One that we saw twice, once on Jetta and once on uh, uh, Scarif, uh, is really the equivalent to testing the atom bomb before we actually dropped it in World War Two. Um, exactly, where you know they were lower yields uh, for the testing. But still, just as devastating. And then, of course, you know the single reactor reaction. It probably caused extinction level events on the planet, uh, but it didn't fully destroy the planet like it did Alderaan in A New Hope, because it wasn't at the highest yield that it ha- that it was capable of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's uh, you know, it's it's a a race to the this. Um, to, 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 to save something of, of hope and something of a resistance to the, the empire with all of this. I, as you say, turning around that, that first line you know, from the crawl of uh, episode four and saying, well, how do they get there? And it, it's clear that they, there's no expectation, there's no easy way for the, the rebellion to be on the yeah. upside. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it was that thing of just hope of, you know, this, like I said, the kind of beginning of not just the rebellion finding her hope, finding their hope, but Jin finding her hope, Cassian finding his hope, even K2 kind of finding his hope. Everyone, that was just kind of uh, finding it. And then once you have it, keeping that hope and moving that hope into something that, okay, not only can we. Do we, can we do this and win one battle? But we now have the capability to possibly win this war. Well, that that is exactly it. Is that one man, one man, one person can make a difference? Uh, that you don't mm-hmm. have to be General Patton to lead an army. You don't have to be Luke Skywalker to defeat the First Order. You don't have to be. Uh, uh, Anakin Skywalker uh, lineage to to be a hero. Uh, even mm-hmm. the even the smallest actions could have the biggest consequences. Really, the story of of Rogue One is that the only ones who truly fail are the ones who give up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who do not try at all. Mm. And, and yet, you have such a, a wonderful ragtag team. <laughs> it's not just Jin and Cassian. It's all those others who um, are part of this last-ditch effort. Um, yeah, K2 is there, and he's a fully fleshed-out character. But so is everybody else giving you know, their, their all in the end to, yeah. to get that hope, to get that last chance. Yeah. And each one has their own motives for being there. 
you know, you know, Cassian was the one that was just kind of like I like we said before was born into it. You know, um, Jin was the reluctant rebel. You have K two um, was the repurposed droid. Yeah, <laughs> yes. and then you have the uh, the pilot, and I can for the life of me cannot remember his name. Bodhi. Oh yeah. What? Oh Bodhi, who was the ex Imperial who kind of got fed up with, you know, what was going on and, you know, whether it was he thought he could make a quick buck or whatever, you know, by the end of it, he is just as invested in this rebellion as everyone else. Sure, it just went where the force guided him. Yeah. (laughs) Literally. Literally. And Maze followed his friend. Yeah. If I have one regret to Rogue One, it really is the fact that even though the characters served their purpose and it was a good, uh, for for the characters' storylines, it was a good, it was a good ending, and we got enough flesh out of the characters uh, to to be invested in their story. My only lament is that we didn't get more time with these characters beforehand, because it would have yeah. been it would have been interesting to to delve even deeper into their backstories. Yeah. Well, that's what books are for. Well, I mean, we're and also books. and we're supposed to get a TV series dealing with Cassian, so yeah. we are going to dig, dig a little deeper on him as well. Yeah, but uh, Jin, there, Jin there, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, sorry, there's there's definitely a lot you can you know still pull out from the books, uh, as you say, with Jin um, and Cassian and and all of those others getting their their moments and, and rebels. Um, you know, the, getting the, the little tidbits here and there. But gosh, I would have loved uh, a, a double-length cut of uh, Rogue One. <laughs> An ultimate yes. edition, yes. Yes. Heck, just give me just give me uh, three more minutes of that Darth Vader hallway scene. Oh, oh. yeah. <laughs> <sighs> um, well, we're going to start wrapping things up here kind of a shorter bit of a shorter episode today but i think a good one nonetheless absolutely uh we're gonna appreciate you guys having me in for a discussion any of my star wars people are always uh fun to talk about but with you guys even more so awesome that's great to hear greatly appreciate that Uh, she she did let me uh real quick john she did let me in before we started uh recording you were you were still setting up your notes and all that uh of what mm -hmm. she's doing now Uh, maybe we could take a couple minutes to just uh even though it's not really star wars related uh let uh let dr lydell talk about uh what she what she's been involved with and uh and uh maybe future plans coming forward there we go yeah of course I'm teaching a course this year at my university on Game of Thrones and history, uh, which has been an absolutely amazing opportunity. I have a a class seminar of about 28 students doing all sorts of wonderful research about how history has influenced Game of Thrones, shows up in Game of Thrones, gets kind of misused. it's fantastic. They're also uh, some of them are pursuing projects that are doing things like forging weapons um, uh, in the style of Game of Thrones, um, crafting bestiary pages to reflect medieval um, art, and uh, you know the the animals, the magical animals of, of all of this. So it, it's been really exciting. I was saying earlier that I, I had wished and wanted when Star Wars and history came out to have a similar course in the universe, the rest of the universe was kind of, mm, you know, not so sure about this kind of crazy talk of, of doing this in the classroom. But after mm. the success of game of Thrones in history, I, I, I think it might be worth another pitch. We've got not just the, uh, the new trilogy finishing up, but so much more coming out on TV that it would be a sure sell um, and I've had a couple colleagues actually stop and tell me that if I did run a, a Star Wars and history course, I'd better have the big auditorium available because they want to come too, not just the students. You know, wow. we would come too. <laughs> oh, yeah. It we would, would be great. The nice to, thing is it doesn't to have to be me just talking because everybody, we, we know so much about the, the Star Wars to share that, to talk it out. I give you the little fodder for some more cool history, and you give me more fodder 
of cool Star Wars elements, and we all have fun. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, you, well, you said you said your 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 classmates uh, are or students are forging weapons in the One style of Game of Thrones. forging a replica of needle from uh, you know from the Game of Thrones, Arya Stark's weapon. Um, I've got another student who's uh, doing a, a paper mache dragon's egg and cross section of a dragon. Looking, she said, "Well, you know, you were telling me about that medieval people came to terms with fossils, trying to figure out what they were. This is going to be like a historical fossil. So um, wow. I, I could just imagine what you could do with Star Wars in terms of the weapons, the clothing." the architecture we could have so much fun oh uh yeah pla pla um, uh pla steel uh mixing steel with uh with plastic that would be very <laughs> interesting to see but no i was going to say if any of your students wind up starting to create uh valerian steel you let me know <laughs> I will. if we get that far we're really good <laughs> Wow. Well, on that note, um, well, let's say we'll start with uh, Dr. Liddell. Where can they find you at? Um, you could find me online um, at Laurentian uh, University, where I teach, Laurentian.ca. Um, but I'm most easily found on Twitter. So uh, look for me at Twitter, my account, J L I E D L. Um, I, I know it's a lot of letters that don't naturally go together well, but that's where you can find me um, and chat with me or send me an email, care of the university, be happy to talk Star Wars with anyone. Uh, awesome. John, make sure make sure uh, after the podcast you get all that information from uh, uh, Dr. Lydell and I'll make sure uh, it's well, in the comment. I'll make sure it's in the description below on the video and also on the uh, the podcast, uh, the, the, the audio definitely. podcasts. Definitely. Uh, Chris, where can they find you at? Well, you can find me anywhere it says Realm of the Mist Entertainment right here on YouTube. If you enjoyed this video in any way, shape, or form, make sure you hit that like button, uh, subscribe, share, comment down below. If you have questions for Dr. Lydell or for us, please leave them in the comment section down below. If they're for Dr. Lydell, well, we will send them to her. If it's to uh, us, obviously, we'll respond to them on the next video. And, of course, guys... Show us some love over at Anchor.fm. Just look for Realm of the Mist Entertainment or anywhere that quality podcasts can be heard. Awesome. Uh, of course, you can find me right here at Realm of the Mist every Wednesday night doing War of the Stars. Uh, you can also, also find me online on Facebook at Mark Tolly and on Twitter at John Mark Tolly one because I, of course, am the number one John Mark Tolly on Twitter. Uh, you also find me on Instagram at Mark Tolly. And that is about it. Remember, as Chris said, remember to like and subscribe here on YouTube and follow us on anchor.fm and show some support. Uh, there's a support button which allows you to send us money and to help really support this podcast. And uh, I think I speak for Chris when I say every dollar helps. That's it. Without without you guys, there is no us. And That's we right. wanna we wanna be able to give you the best quality shows, bring on the best guests, give you the best content that we possibly can. Uh but sometimes yeah. we could just use a little bit of help from you guys. Anything that helps. That's right. Uh so that does it for us and join us next week as we go in to our first animated character as we talk Ahsoka Tano. Until next time, may the force be with you. Always. Mm -hmm.